Hello and welcome back to another episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, Dave and the Skeptic, and I'm joined by uh, my old pal, my old friend. Hello, everyone. Uh, I am back for another round. This is uh, Andrew. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, it's two skeptics. I know. Didn't invite a Christian this week. But this episode should be actually really, really fun for Christians. Because we are going to put each other on the hot seat. Uh, seats starting to heat up already. Uh, this is a this is a tough discussion that we're about to have. Uh, so we're going to workshop an idea. I don't exactly know where it's going to lead, and I'm pretty sure I don't like where it's going to go. Uh, my conclusions are uncertain right now, but I've been thinking about this for a little bit. I've tried to write about it and failed. Uh, I've never really talked about this in, in public, and we're just gonna we're just gonna do this. Uh, so we might be a little bit uh, vulnerable. Go easy on us. Andrew will probably say some stupid things uh, while he's on the mic. Go easy on him. Uh, anyway, that's, that's my plan. <laughs> we, the point is, we don't have all the answers here, and uh, we're hoping that you can help us out. So uh, you have already heard at some point. Uh, in the past, a roundtable that we did, and it was an excellent show, by the way. <laughs> Who am I kidding? At the time of this recording, we haven't done it yet, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure it's going to be an excellent show. And uh, that roundtable was examining the question of what if there was a God? And this, is a, this was a roundtable of all skeptics. And we wanted to explore the issue of you know, let's let's just grant for a moment that there's a God. What would we do next? Well, I obviously can't tell you how that turned out. <laughs> but uh, at this point, I want to examine the other side of that. If there's not a God, then what? And so this week, my focus, my focus is on the concept of utopia. I believe I probably titled this episode Atheist Heaven. I don't know yet. I haven't written the blog. <laughs> but <laughs> it's my working title so far. Uh, Andrew probably has some other ideas about where we're going with this conversation. Oh, boy. Yes, I do. Uh, but I, I, do, I do like the title. I, I do like the idea of discussing atheist utopia, though I think I'll probably come at it um, uh, from a direction not entirely suggested by the title. So uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to see how that goes. Yeah, so part of what got me thinking about this, and frankly, I've been thinking about this for, for a few years, so it's, it's not my first time thinking about it. I just can't come to any satisfactory conclusion with the thought process. Uh, I am always hammering on Christians about their inability to express any kind of coherent view of heaven that A, makes any sense, and B, sounds remotely appealing. And so I think that the Christian effort to, uh, to convert, at least for me, falls apart right at the beginning. Because, number one, I don't believe in the Christian hell. If there's really nothing they can say to make me believe in the Christian hell. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's an interesting idea. 
seems pretty coherent. There are lots of competing ideas about what Christian hell is, but it doesn't matter which idea it is. I just don't believe it. I don't buy it. Uh, Christians are just making stuff up at, at that point. And uh, there's nothing about their presentation of hell that convinces me that I'm in any danger. And the second part of the problem, of course, I don't believe in the Christian heaven either. So without a hell or a heaven, all of the stuff in the middle about oh, being a Christian following a God just is meaningless to me. It's just meaningless to me. It's hard for me to take it seriously uh, because I don't believe in either the carrot or the stick. That said, um, just because the Christian does not have a compelling vision that makes me want to jump aboard their train does not free me of the responsibility to come up with a compelling vision of my own. And to be perfectly frank, atheists are no better at drawing up a compelling vision of a utopic future than Christians are. And I put myself in that camp as well. I can't do a better job than they can. My ideas all suck. I think about them deeply and they fall apart somewhere. And so I want to explore the idea of if everyone, you know, agreed that there's no God, let's just take that off the table. Where do we go next as a society? What do we push for? What are, what are our goals? What is the atheist heaven uh, that we hold out as the carrot? What is the utopia that we're trying to, to, to build? What is the point of any of it? So um, I have some thoughts. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to offer the mic to Andrew and see if he wants to kick us off. And if he uh, defers, I will pick up the ball and advance it a couple of yards. Okay. Maybe one place to start is actually back about halfway through what you said. I was a Christian in the past. You were a Christian in the past. Um, I think it's fair to say that as a Christian, I dreaded heaven. The heaven that I was taught in Sunday school, um, streets of gold and, and walls of precious jewels, uh, a place where you're uh, locked in with 144,000 of your closest friends that you don't know, <laughs> because they're from all places at all times, maybe. Uh, a God who sits on a throne and can't be looked at, but must be uh, worshipped in song uh, eternally. Um, no, thank you. Just no, thank you. Um, the problem, at least in part, that I had with heaven was I recognized that some part of me that made Andrew, Andrew, the, the eye of me, had to change. Because I was always and am and will always be a Mark I type one human. I have wants and needs. I have compulsions and desires. I have likes and dislikes. And frankly, some of those dislikes were people that I sat in the pews with. And so whatever Christian utopia was, was on offer, I honestly didn't want any part of it. Now, I did like the idea of you know, nirvana, right, of, of living forever in some peaceful state. Um, 
you know, and, and maybe being surrounded by loved ones, all of those, all of those kinds of ideas were interesting ideas, but I didn't see any way in the Christian framework for it to actually work out. Um, can, can I just, I'm headed. sorry, I'm, I'm fit to burst. What, <laughs> surrounded by loved ones. <laughs> so, None I'm of mine sorry. were going. I, right, None, so, none of mine were going. <laughs> never mind the ones that aren't going to be there, because it's always a big hole in this. Let's just say that you're in one of those cults where all of your loved ones make it. Um, the whole works. G- great. So you are surrounded by your loved ones. Does that make you the center of heaven? And, and everyone else that you know who made it is there to be part of your surroundings? <laughs> because do, doesn't each of your loved ones get to be surrounded by the people that they know and love? And at some point, I mean, that's going to diverge quite a bit. I mean, you know, your aunts and uncles and, and cousins and nephews aren't going to want to spend eternity surrounding you all the time, are they? Look, I, I love my parents. Um, an eternity spent sitting in a pew with them, singing Hosanna to God. That is not heaven. I love my parents, but that would be uh, hell in heaven. <laughs> I, I just don't understand. It seems like it's such a self-centered notion to say, I am is. surrounded by all of the people that I love. So uh, There'll never be a moment in heaven where the song leader calls out a song that you didn't want to sing at that moment. Yeah, because, you know, that guy over there who I didn't know liked a different song. And now I got to wait it out for four and a half minutes uh, until I can make another request. (laughs) Or four and a half eons. Right. I mean, and and so I honestly could never could never find a way to square the idea of the heaven drawn in the pictures of the Bible with the heaven that I actually wanted. And, and quite frankly, I've never been big on worshiping. Uh, I've, that's always sort of rubbed me the, the wrong way. Um, so it's useful maybe to start this, this idea of utopia off with why I rejected the first one presented to me. Sure. And I... I, I got some mad I hadn't used up yet, so I'm sorry. The um, surrounded, I just see this is something I've thought about before when I was a Christian, and it bothered me then, and I never had anyone to talk to about talk to about it. Um, so I'm there, my wife is there, my three kids are there. Let's say my mother, wives, and my. And my father are there um no one, one which wife my, by the way mother, which, which one da, which one da, gets to go at the time i only had one <laughs> oh okay. well life has moved on since then um but i'm but so i'm just trying to put that scene together in my mind but okay. now what age are my kids i don't have any kids you understand but uh in my imagination at the time you know i would have probably been about 35, and I would have had kids, you know, that were uh, 6, 8, and 10, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps. Um, and um, 
So my parents would have been in their 50s. Uh, and that's fine. And so that's how I would understand heaven. That's how I picture it. But what if my third child wanted a different heaven? What if he didn't want to be in heaven constantly as my as my six-year-old kid? <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's an old joke about uh, this, this idea of heaven. Uh, a bunch of mice uh, die and, uh, and they go to heaven, right? And, and in this particular heaven, uh, these mice want roller skates. Right. They, they've seen people. They've seen humans roller skate. And they, you know, they, maybe they maybe they uh, this little colony of mice lived at a roller skating rink. Right. And they, but they don't make skates big enough for mice. So these mice die and they go to heaven. Right. And, and sure enough, behold, they, they go to heaven and their and their wish for roller skates is granted. Right. And uh, and the mice are happily skating around heaven. And uh, and a little while later, uh, a cat dies. And this cat has been a good cat its whole life. And it goes to heaven. And, uh, and it sees in heaven the thing that it has always wanted, fast food. Okay. Yeah, it's okay, okay, I, great. Okay, I quit. <laughs> right, look, you know you want to laugh. You know you like it. No. So it's no, one of those kids' jokes. But I quit. I don't, this, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> no, no, look, this is the problem with heaven. The moment... The moment you have people who achieve heaven that have in any way competing interests, the moment there is a remotely competing interest, it is hard to see how heaven solves the problem. Right. I don't care if there's an all-powerful God. Somebody's desire loses. Right. No, it's it's, – so Muslim heaven is probably worse uh, seven, you get your seventy-two versions, but what's heaven for the versions? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's that seems more like hell for the versions. <laughs> so, right, right. I mean, so it it seems like it's coming from a very self-centered kind of place, and heaven is is the thing that you imagine that works out really well for you. And we can pretend like there's some model where it works out really well for everybody. But if you are sitting there picturing eternity with your little babies, well, you know what? Your babies grew up. They, they may not want to be your little babies in heaven. Uh, or the, the person that you lived uh, alongside, you know, your wife who sacrificed her college education uh, to, to take care of you while you were in school and so forth. You know, when she gets to heaven, maybe she wants to go walk about it. You know, she's not your wife. Uh, but you want to spend all of your time with her, but she wants to maybe meet some other people. <laughs> you know? Um, it, it's just, it just seems all very self-centered and wrong. It doesn't, I don't see any way that those types of things can work themselves out. Well, and, and, and the self-centeredness doesn't end there, does it? It doesn't end between people because in my view in in regard to the christian utopia the the truth is the whole the whole notion is self-centered a god that sits on a here's what christians are swallowing and here's here's what i eventually couldn't stomach a god that sits on a throne for eternity being worshiped by the people that he chose and rejecting the ones whom he threatened and, and they just couldn't be cowed. 
And so the, the people sitting around the throne, the people that you're worshiping with, at least in my view, was the bunch of sycophants that gave up the life that they really wanted because of an extortion racket. So fuck that utopia. Yeah, no, that's 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 not a good place. Um, and I would I would say that I I can't imagine a way that it's worked out so that there isn't the normal human strife and envy and fighting and warring uh, that doesn't happen here. And so one of one of the things that was discussed a few podcasts back uh, was the idea that there that there would be different uh, levels of reward. Uh, in fact, I think that's mm-hmm. what, that was my first podcast mm-hmm. with Titus. Uh, there would be who will sit at Jesus's right hand. Yes, yes, it's that yeah. same argument over yeah. and over again, uh, except yeah. modernized. So there will be different levels of a reward, and if you if you were a really, really, really goody two shoes, uh, you get the good reward as opposed to if you just barely made it in, then you don't get all of those good things. So what you will have then is a a caste system <laughs> in heaven, and I'm not entirely sure how that doesn't lead to problems because you've got you've got the people with the really nice robes in the really big mansion uh, in the wings that allow them to go anywhere, and then you got the people that just barely made it in, and they're living on subsistence. <laughs> so. Quite seriously, in a uh, back in college when I was attending a, a Christian university. Uh, quite seriously, in a in a meeting of a, of a bunch of preaching students, we had a conversation about where the apostles would be seated at the heavenly table versus the fathers of the tribes of Israel. I know, right? <laughs> and and so one of one of the clearest possible ideas to answer the question would be, well, you know, new covenant, improved covenant. And the leaders of that covenant should clearly take precedence because this is the this is the new and improved covenant that ushered humans into uh, the final phase before judgment and spiritual kingdom versus physical wealth and all of those kinds of all of those kinds of ideas. If the listeners aren't familiar with with each of those, we might do that another time. But but the point is, there is clear reason to think that the disciples of Jesus, the the chosen few, uh, should be. Uh, more highly placed than the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And yet, if you were Abraham, wouldn't you necessarily say, um, but these are all my children? Well, I mean, what makes you think Abraham's going to be there? Well, okay, so that's another issue, right? And 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 then what about Solomon? Right. I mean, so it seems like the old Jews were written out of the story when when Jesus his his disciples are arguing. You know, am I going to be on the left or the right? No one for a moment thought. Well, wait a minute. What about uh, Judah? Maybe he'll, maybe <laughs> maybe maybe he's a contender oh. for one of these seats. Right, and and so if if King David is there. Um, you know, this this is the dude who has all the blood on his hands, right? Does he does he get credit for the blood on his hands for fighting for God Almighty? 
or does he sit at the foot of the table? Because, after all, there's blood on his hands. And my only point is, however you gloss the answers, they're equally good answers for, uh, for the other side. And if you think that you could go to a heaven where people aren't making arguments for themselves, then you're talking about a, a thread that I lost for a moment earlier. I, I said it would require a fundamental change in me yeah, I'm, I to live peacefully to in heaven. Yeah, yeah. you, you, you weren't going to, that was, that was coming back, I promise. Yeah, well, and, and so here it comes around. In order for us not to make cases for ourselves, you have to fundamentally change, as far as I can tell, you have to fundamentally change the human and the human experience. And frankly, I don't know whether I want that change or not. Right. I mean, let's, let's have the, you know, show me the change. Um, you know, because if all you're going to do is, is uh, give me sedatives to live in heaven so that I can sing songs to God for eternity, no, thank you. Right, you're just drugging the inmates at that point. So, um, right. so let, let's, let's talk about that briefly. And by the way, we are going to get around to atheist heaven here in a little bit, but it's important to kind of flesh right, out Christian keep heaven. the other utopia, right. Um, <laughs> got to beat up the other utopia cause first. Cause both aren't. Andrew and I come from that mindset. So um, this is what we have to compare to. And, you know, some of these problems that we're talking about are problems that if you're Christian listeners, maybe you haven't thought about <laughs> So, um, these are, I'd these be are, very interested if you have, and you have answers. Yeah, no, I, uh, definitely skeptics and seekers at gmail.com that, uh, that'll come directly to me or skeptics and seekers dot wordpress.com, uh, drop a note at the bottom of, uh, this blog. Uh, you know, yeah, we want to, we want to interact with you. Heck, if you like, uh, we want to get you on the mic and just talk to you. Uh, I'd, I'd love to know what uh, Christians have to say about this, but this was this was a major problem for me. The, the Christian heaven just didn't work, uh, no matter how I looked at it. I saw the potential for chaos all over the place. And the only way to avoid that kind of chaos was to fundamentally change the human animal, so that we were not in any way like we are now. So uh, about that change, there were some other changes that would have to happen to make heaven work that I that I wasn't comfortable with. Let me ask you a question there. Uh, it's, o- it's only just occurred to me. So this is hot wash specifically for the mic right now. One of the one of the things well, that you're responsible that you for and cleaning I... your own mic. Then I'm just saying. <laughs> it's, um, no, no. You see, um, I'll have. 72 virgins to do it or whatever. <laughs> okay, never, you, you can cut that if you need to. Uh, so, as a serious question, we uh, shared a, a set of religious experiences, a, a denomination in our background. And one of the things that we were taught uh, is that we were, as Christians, made in God's image, right? Uh, widely held in Christendom. So, if we are made in God's image, but we have these problems among us now, is that part of us somehow an image that God does? You know, do we have some part of our makeup that is fundamentally not God? 
And if we are made in God's image, um, how does that, what, what is it about God's image that resolves these problems in heaven? I have no idea because I don't know in what we were made in God's image because that doesn't seem to keep us from having these problems here. So, right. so I'm did not, God, I'm not sure. did he imperfectly make, so this, this goes a little deep. Did he imperfectly make angels? Were angels somehow, you know, God looked at himself in the mirror. I realize I'm being a little hyperbolic, but we are talking about God's image, whatever that means. So mirror maybe isn't too terrible an idea. So God looks at himself when he makes angels and says, I don't want to make them in my image. Here's why angels are important. Angels get in fights in heaven and get kicked out. And so my question is this. When you add humans to the heavenly host, what component do we not have that the angels do have? Or what do we have now that God doesn't have? And how do I know that what I have now, if God's going to take this away, or God doesn't have this thing that causes sin, or, or God doesn't have this thing that causes strife or whatever, how do I know that that's better? I'm not saying that strife itself is, is a universal condition to be sought after. But it may be that the thing that causes strife is not necessarily the thing that causes uh, universal discontent or would make heaven an undesirable place if it were there. I, I'm just saying that this God doesn't seem to get it right very often. And I'm not sure I want him tinkering with my eternal DNA. Right. I mean, he's uh, like Dr. Soom, who keeps tinkering and making androids, uh, but he never actually came up with the data model. Uh, Trek geek. All, all he's ever done was make lures. Uh, so I don't see actually how humans are fundamentally different from the angels. So that's another thing that I, I never got straight when I was a Christian. Because we have free will, they have free will, we can sin, they can sin. Uh, you know, they get banished from heaven, we can get banished from heaven. I'm not entirely sure hmm. what the difference is. Right. And, and I'm not sure that a certain amount of motivated self-interest is bad. Now, I recognize motivated self-interest can be taken... Uh, to a level that can disadvantage other people. And this is going to lead into my version of utopia at some moment in the future when we get there. But motivated self-interest seems to be a thing that, that we need to be us. To you know, we, we have an ego. Are we going to get rid of egos in heaven? Because my ego seems to be, and I'm not talking about ego in the, in the Freudian sense, but just the thing that makes me me, the I of me again. Am I going to have to get rid of that? If there was some Christian heaven, oh, one that I don't believe in, by the way, I don't, I don't even think atheists get southern-facing rooms. I don't believe in such place. Um, I see no evidence to conclude that there is such place. But if you take the I of me away, if you take the thing that creates my motivated self-interest. What do you have left? What would I be 
without that. So you're saying like uh, when Kirk was uh, split in two by the transporter and there was Star Trek geek good Kirk and the evil. Okay, never mind. Um, so <laughs> uh, no, look, they, they, I couldn't have been split in half. There's only an evil me. <laughs> well, right, but I, I, I just take your point. If you if you take out all of the quote unquote bad bits, is it really you that's left? What's what is left? Um, so uh, yeah, let's let's look at some of that. Um, what are some of the changes that heaven requires of you? And so that would be one of them, for instance. I um, sex. I'm a, I'm a sexual being, uh, and so one okay, of the that is scariest... way too much information for you to share with me. <laughs> oh, did you not know? Uh, I I am a sexual being. I like sex. Sex is good. Now scratching out my ears. Now just, okay. <laughs> look, Love we sex. all are. We all are sexual beings. <laughs> it's it's part of the it's part of the human condition. And and so I don't know if you're thinking about there will be no marriage or giving in marriage. Yes, yes. I'm thinking. Okay, okay I'm go thinking, ahead. So any every time someone talked about heaven, uh, and they talked about it in a way that made it sound like there would be no sex, I'm thinking, I uh, really. <laughs> I'm going to be okay with that because I'm not okay well, with it now. <laughs> here, here's how you know he, uh, heaven will only be filled with Luddites. Because the moment you let one geek in, there will be a porn hub in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm just going to leave there you go. that right there. Um, the, uh, and... Uh, Millimeter wave 5G, maybe? Anyway. Um, oh, absolutely. I guess I have my doubts as to whether we're actually going to get that on Earth or not. Uh, it's, it's, it's the Ansible, you know, it's instant yeah. communication. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, that, is a, that is a change that is fundamental to what it means to be me. That I don't want cut out of me. And so if you're saying, well, that's heaven and you'll be this different person, uh, but, but non-sexual or asexual, I, I don't, that's not me. Um, I don't, I don't and, I'm not signing up for that. Well, and is there a demonstrable way? So, so now I'm being, uh, let me ask you the question with your former Christian hat on. I, I know that it paused a little bit to put the thing on your head and, you know, then you have to clamp the thing down. You have to thorns. drive the spikes in your ears. You have yeah. the thorns on it. Look, I, I know how this thing works and it, and it hurts to put it on, but, but put your Christian hat on for a moment and, and answer this question. As a Christian, did you think that a non-sexual you was a better being. No. And well, yes, but but no. Uh, yes, intellectually, because that's kind of what I'm told. But no, um, fundamentally, because I was a sexual being and I liked who I was. So I, I couldn't imagine that being improved by being asexual. So that's part of my problem with the Christian utopia is this utopia has created a certain amount of self-loathing loathing among its devotees. There, I, I know tassels of Christians. That, that's, a, that's a Southern lot, in case anybody's wondering. Uh, tassels of Christians uh, who 
are engaged in self-loathing over the fact that they are sexual beings. And I don't understand how, how you get to utopia from that position of self of self-loathing. Right. And I, to, to be fair uh, to the Christian, there is a way of thinking about this that maybe isn't as horrible as I'm making it out. So, for instance, when you itch, what you want to do more than anything else is scratch. And so if yep. someone told you you'll never be able to scratch again, it would drive you mad. But actually, what you want is not to scratch. What you want is not to itch. Um, and so that's, that's the real thing. And so maybe if sexuality is equated to an itch, and in heaven you get rid of the itch, then you don't have any desire to scratch anymore. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's something like that. Um, there, are, there are reasons why I don't, I don't buy that. For instance, if sexuality was supposed to be all of that, all that bad, then why did God make us sexual beings in the first place down here? That, yeah, exactly. We could have had yeah, other yeah. types of reproduction that had nothing to do with sex. Asexual reproduction is a thing that happens. So um, I don't see why we would be given that particular itch only to be made to feel like it was something bad. Well, right, and then there's the and then there's the whole um, uh, the whole biblical idea of being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth. There's the idea of uh, depending on what kind of Christian you are, one man and one woman together forever, and all that sort of thing. And all those things are supposed to be quite harmonious. Um, and so there are two views in in Christendom. Uh, one is that you just won't be sexual creatures in heaven, that, you know, this sort of self-loathing about sex will be gone because there's no sex. And, and then there was the other view that was more quietly talked about, which is, which is a state of, of self-perfect union, right? It, it's, a, it's, it's an eternity of orgasm. And, and so if you were a certain kind of Christian, you talked about it's these kinds of things and Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. I mean, I mean, look, that that's good for the first sixty seconds, <laughs> and, and and so I think what you said at the beginning that that the Christian utopia was hard to understand, or you know, some words to that effect. It, it, it's not well defined. The Christians didn't do a good job of instructing us about what their utopia looks like. Right. That Every, rings everything true to they me. said was just scary to me. Um, yeah. I, just one more yeah. thought about sexuality, because I want, mm. I want Christians to understand where this is coming from. Uh, you're talking about changing your sexual orientation from heterosexual to no sexual. That is as scary an idea for me as if... God were to say, well, in heaven, you'll be changed from heterosexual to homosexual. C Christians wouldn't sign up for it. They would, they would certainly be nervous about it. But, you know, my, my sexual orientation is going to certainly be different now. Uh, in some fundamental way, that's not me anymore, if you make that change. So right. uh, that's, that's how I feel, uh, you know, when you threaten me. And it feels like a threat, you know, I'm going to take away your sexuality and give you a different kind of sexuality. 
Some actress, I, I think it was um, one of the actresses from Game of Thrones recently, but I'd, I'd have to go back and see if I can find it, if anybody writes in and cares. Some some actress just uh, uh, had something to say about not um, not having a significant other guy or girl, and she described herself as self-partnered. <laughs> I think it's the first time I've ever heard that phrase. And so... And so that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting idea, right? Could you could you have a utopia if everyone was so satisfied that they were all self partnered? Um, I, I don't know because I don't seem to be geared that way. So so whatever utopia was, if you changed that part of me so that so that I'm now uh, you know happy with being self partnered, whatever she meant by that. Um, then, you know, I'm not sure that I would recognize myself. Right. It's, it's something, one sexuality is fundamental to themselves. It's not, a, it's not a casual change. It's not like changing your hair color. So, um, it, so anyway, I don't, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about that. I just want to let people who are listening know this is some of the scarier parts when you start talking about heaven, why, why not everybody wants to jump on board that train? Just really quickly, um, another, another th- aspect of heaven uh, that bothered me, and once again, I think a lot of this is going to come back around when we start talking about our own vision mm. of utopia, but uh, one of the aspects that really bothered me was the idea of um, a, a pecking order, uh, a, mm-hmm. a system of hierarchy and um, possibly a, a caste system uh, too, some, something where there's a social structure that, that you can't break out of. So what do I mean by that? So you've got God at the top. Well, will anyone ever be able to replace God at the top? No. <laughs> so uh, there you have one level where there is kind of a caste system where you can't you can't break up from your glass ceiling. There is a place higher than you, but you will never get there. And you will never be equal uh, to that God. And as I understand it, that that system goes all the way down and I don't know how many levels. So you've got you've got Jesus, you've got the you've got the twelve apostles fighting for the thrones uh, that are there. So there's another level. And then, you know, you've got the 12 tribes um, that they're ruling over. And I'm sure that those tribes will have tribal elders and chieftains and so forth. You've got this whole system. There's a royal court. Uh, so there are people that are a part of the royal court, people that are not a part of the royal court, depending on which form of heaven you've got. There's heaven proper. And then there's the earth, which will be restored uh, and so some people will be on earth, but the really lucky ones will be uh, in heaven. You've got this this whole system. And then layered in that system, you've got the ability, I think, to um, to to maybe go astray. Because look at the angels right now. We're told that we have to. One, one more one more second. I got I just got to get this out. It's like a it's like it's like projectile vomiting. It's a niche. Can't, can't stop right now. Um, so it's <laughs> so. Um, so uh, you've got uh, the angels that are that are apparently sinning, 
and we are going to judge the angels when we get there. So there's this whole court system. Um, there's a system of laws and structure and hierarchy. And this sounds like a mess. None okay, so, of that sounds good. I want to escape that. That, but that is that is happening. The, the reason I laughed is because I I was thinking about the angels myself. And if you want to kick off uh, Heaven Civil War 2.0, introduce some humans in there that are higher than angels. Well, right. so the very first time <laughs> some angel has to submit to a human judge, it's yeah, all ain't, ain't gonna happen. <laughs> But here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. So, so is God? So, so the real question, uh, the non-snarky question, is: is is God also going to change angels in some way that we're just told about, so that they're, you know, they're also going to be on drugs and and <laughs> or whatever, right? They're 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 not going to do the angel thing. But but the slightly snarkier question is: Can angels read the Bible? Well, here's why that's important. Because if they can, they're going to preempt this whole judgment thing because they don't. How do you know they have to read the Bible? What makes you think they haven't already done it? God's tied up in a closet somewhere. That's why there hasn't been some great return. <laughs> are, you, are you saying that Islam is proof that angels can read the Bible? <laughs> 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 okay. All right. Okay. Uh, leaving leaving the snark, uh, but there are real questions here. Uh, you know, there, there's some of it that's fun, right? Um, but the the question about how utopia is implemented is an essential question. I've I've said for a long time now. Your listeners have heard me. If you want me to believe in the Christian God, you've got to address the central claims of the Bible, that it's possible to live forever, that, that God can rightly judge, that he can pass on eternal life, that he does or doesn't have an eternal torture chamber. But wrapped up in this conversation is the question about how will we change and how would we be able to get along with the other heavenly hosts in a way where there's no strife? This is what it means to be heaven. To be in heaven. So last last one of these before we uh, mm. before we flip the page, because it's a big one and we've kind of both put it off uh, and talked around it. So I, I think probably each of us intended to get to this place at some point, mm. um, and that is uh, memory. So there's supposed oh, to be boy. no tears in heaven. Um, so right off the bat, I've got a problem with this. Because there are things that make me sad right now. No makeup sex. There are things that make me sad right now. Sorry. And um, if going to leave that one, aren't you? So I have I have memories of things that make me sad. For there to be no tears in heaven is for those memories either to be wiped out or for me to be fundamentally changed so that they don't make me sad. And uh, finally, heaven is exclusive. So. Only a few people are going to make it. Dubstails into that last point. If I somehow made it, I, most, many of the people that I know and like won't make it. Sorry, Andrew. Um, so I'm supposed to. So rude. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. You did it to yourself. You chose to go to hell. Um, so <laughs> don't chase that. Don't chase. Don't, don't be. Don't be 
be time. Um, so I am supposed to feel okay somehow about all of my loved ones that didn't make it to heaven. And um, so once again, either I don't remember or I have been changed in some fundamental way so that I'm not me anymore and their absence doesn't bother me. Right. And, and right now, so I want to go after one, one side of this because there is a Christian view. Um, well, I don't, I don't know that our mutual friend holds this view, but there is the Christian view that somehow we will have our memories intact but that we will get enough God knowledge that um, those people that we lost will, will be okay with their loss because, because they made their decision and, and we can live in a state of nirvana accepting that they're in hell. That's, that's one possibility. I will simply say that the human being that I am right now cannot tolerate the idea of the vast majority of human beings living eternity in 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 unknowable agony, right? Unknowable bias at the moment. Certainly, they should know it then if they're for such places. Hell, and the the kind of person that I am cannot accept an eternity of punishment for any temporal crime or set of crimes, no matter how uh, no matter how vile, because at some point, you have to say, you've suffered enough. And heaven can't, I, I can't, I couldn't accept a heaven that would change me in a way that would cause me to accept that 9 out of 10 people, or 99 out of 100, or, or 999 out of 1,000, pick your percentage, I don't care what it is. I couldn't accept it. I couldn't accept a gift of heaven where some proportion are suffering forever. Right. And if you're going to change me where I can, that's not me. And I don't accept that future version of me. Right. And there, I mean, so there may be a way to slice this um, that gets around it. Uh, you can, you can say, well, your loved ones aren't in heaven, but they're in this other good place where God isn't. So it's it's okay. They're not suffering. Uh, it's it's like New York without the Christians. It's it's fine. So they're over there, but they're not over here. In other words, they're 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 at the Marriott, but they're not in the Hilton. But they're still okay. So I'll I'll say just to round off that last point. I said pick your percentage, but I don't care if it's only one person. But let's let's say you picked the worst. You could go back in history, and God could find the worst person in history. And a little bit like substitutionary atonement. Uh, Jesus gets all the sins for the people that end up in heaven, and this, this very evil person is the, is the token for hell, right? So even all the, all the people that would have been bound for hell, like, they end up there. This, and this, this eternally lost soul gets sent to hell. And, and has to suffer for eternity for all of humanity. I still wouldn't accept the future version of me that could accept that punishment, not even on behalf of one temporal being who had to suffer forever for the sins of, of everyone that ever lived. Because after all, 
even all the sins together here were only temporal. Right, and I can't think of anyone I hate enough uh, that I would want to suffer infinitely forever. That's that's not in my makeup either. I can think of people that I hate enough that I want to beat them up, or or at least have someone beat them up for me. Because mm. I don't want to get my hands dirty. Um, but I don't. <laughs> you changed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, 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 a, I'm a man with responsibilities now. Um, but um, yeah, so let's let's see if we can advance forward. I I hope uh, that this at least gives a little bit of oh, sorry. some idea of why heaven might not sound good. To some people, and there there are Christians who are, you know, scratch their heads. Why wouldn't you want to go to heaven? And and I would say to those people, I don't think you've thought about it long enough or deeply enough to to even be able to ask that question. But you know, the last uh, forty nine minutes should <laughs> at least give you um, some idea of why a person may not find uh, Christian heaven. Appealing. Now, we can do better, or can we? I contend that we actually probably can't. <laughs> so that's, that's the first of my uh, bombshells that I'm going to drop. As bad an idea as I think Christian heaven is, I think atheist heavens would fail for many of the same reasons. Um, and so I'm just going to give a real quick summary. Uh, a high-level view of my summary, and uh, Andrew may give a high-level view of his sum- summary, and we'll dive into it. Um, I'm afraid of this. Uh, yeah. I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of where you've started this because is... <laughs> uh, this this nibbles away at. I'm afraid where I am uh, about utopia. I have a very skeptical view of this idea. So so go ahead because I'm afraid you're about to just. Give my thoughts. Stop we'll it. See. I'm not going to let you preemptively out skeptic me. I'm, I'm going to give my skeptical view first. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's, it's your show. It's, it's your show. <laughs> well, you know. You've got the mic. When, uh, when you I, I will say, though, that when I publish this over on Persinium, I'm going to reverse the order of these speeches. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll talk about publishing rights, uh, uh, syndication. Uh, yeah, I'm an atheist. Uh, I, I'm, an, I'm an evil atheist. I, I don't believe in syndication. Rights. I see. So you're just going to pirate the damn thing. Okay. You're going to make me talk about piracy, aren't you? <laughs> Not on this show. Um, okay. All right. But there, yeah, there may be a show. We, we, we actually might talk about that. Um, you would be surprised. There are very few subjects that I... Um, am afraid to talk about these days. Uh, honestly, the what we're about to go into is one that I am afraid to talk about. But I am going to I'm going to launch in right now. So here's here's a quick overview. I've often called myself a utopian, uh, a utopianist uh, in in public. So utopia. There are some specific definitions. It, it actually comes from a uh, writing from ages ago, and I think it's almost irrelevant uh, right now because the only the only definition of utopia that really matters 
is the one that we commonly use and um, what, what we mean by it when we say it. And so for me, utopia is not just other world, um, but better world. In fact, I don't just think of utopia as a better world. I think of utopia as, excuse me, the ideal world. In fact, not just ideal, but perfect, the perfect world. So heaven is a name that Christians use for their utopia, which is why I think in terms of utopia as atheist heaven. Uh, so whatever, whatever the most perfect, most idyllic situation is, that is utopia. Now, I differentiate that from the best life that humans can live. Okay, so it could be that the best life that humans can live is not perfect. It may never be especially good, but it's the best we can do. Uh, so I don't really think of that as utopia. I think of those as two different things. Um, and I am not entirely sure, this is where it gets uncomfortable for me, that utopia is possible for humans. When I think about what utopia entails in, in my mind when I think about it, I just don't know that it's possible. And here's the thing. If a thing is not possible, it's not a good goal. I do not believe in setting goals beyond your grasp. If you truly can't grasp it, you sh it shouldn't be a goal. If, if losing 200 pounds is your goal, but you f it physically can't be done without you dying, that shouldn't be your goal. It, it simply shouldn't be. And some people would say, well, no, you, you make that your goal, and then that'll encourage you to work as hard as you can, and you know, you'll get... You get more done than if you had a, a lower go. I I honestly think that that just sets you up for disappointment. Uh, and whatever you achieve, you will lose from that disappointment. Uh, so I think that the best goal for humans is that which we can attain. And if utopia is not attainable, it shouldn't be a goal. We should be realistic about what we can uh, obtain and then do that. Uh, so that said... I'm not entirely convinced anymore. After after many years of working on this and writing about it for myself and thinking about it, and then um, getting ready to do this podcast, I fear that the best we can do is the best we can do, um, and that that falls well short of the goal. That said, I do plan to talk about some of uh, uh, some of my utopian visions that I have had in the past and um, what I like about them, what I think uh, goes wrong with them. But I'm going to leave that for you know, a, a statement right now and let uh, Andrew step in. Okay, so when we're in similar places, but I, I got to a, a place uh, quite a long time ago, probably a decade ago, about utopia that... Um, Maybe it's even harder a harder line than you've taken. You said, you know, if we can't achieve the goal, then then that shouldn't be our goal. So, meaning that maybe utopia, in some human sense, is possible if if that's your position. I am I am of the opinion, and I'll, and I'll say why, that utopia for human beings is not possible. And the reason I think it's not possible is because we live in a constrained environment. And as far as I can tell, 
it is not possible for human beings to live in unconstrained environments. Put enough human beings in with a finite amount of resources and you will not have utopia. It's simply not possible. And based on my understanding of, of the way the universe works, based on our physical laws, even if we could find uh, exoplanets that could support life, that sort of thing, put enough human beings on them, and eventually you're resource constrained. And so even if you could have utopia for, for a short time, um, maybe you could have uh, maybe you could have a hundred million people that lived without having to pay attention to their environment, and eventually those hundred million people had kids, and then you had two hundred million. They're still okay, um, but they start to worry. And then you have five hundred million, and they recognize, okay, well, we can all still live happily, but more than five hundred million, and things are you know things are sort of a crapshoot. And then all of a sudden you got 7 billion people and it's not a crapshoot anymore. Well, guess what? It's just crap. Right. That's exactly what it looks like right now. And based on my understanding of the universe, that's all it ever can be. So let me, let me uh, just say, I don't, I don't know that you're wrong about any of this, um, but I want to explore what it would look like, what it would take to to make you wrong. Uh, oh, and, and sure. Create and, a kind of utopia um, and, and maybe look at a few things. So I, I just want to start with one that I think that um, all, all religious utopianists uh, mm. start with, which is the human body. Uh, it's a problem because we die. Let me say one thing before you do that. I, I okay. do want to say right here, just this one sentence. I'm not a future dystopianist. So it, Me either. The, everything I said sounded very dystopian. And, and I just want to punctuate that whole paragraph by saying I'm not a dystopianist and we'll come back to that idea. Well, I'm, I'm not either, um, but I would put an asterisk beside that. Uh, and the asterisk is we have to work really hard to keep it from becoming dystopian. Because I think that dystopia is the natural state. <laughs> and so well, it, it takes a lot of work um, to just keep an even keel. Uh, you, take your, you take your foot off the gas, you take your, the eye, your eye off the ball, um, and it, it goes to hell pretty quickly. Right. Well, so, so maybe I'm not a dystopianist just because I take the right drugs. Right, <laughs> but I'm not. So, a, I'm not a I don't. I don't think I that it has to be a dystopia. Um, but, but let's let's just do a little bit of imagineering for a moment. So, the human body is one of the first problems that uh, uh, that real utopianists have to deal with, because it's a reality that our bodies suck. Even the best bodies suck. They get injured. They get diseased. They can die in a moment. So your, your best, healthiest athletic body can be fine one moment and have a heart attack the next moment. And that's, that's the thing. So death is at the, at the end of what happens to this human body, which also is a kind of a buzzkill for utopia. Um, so one of, the, one of the things that religions want to solve first is the death problem. Um, and so Christianity, 
they solve the death problem by just pretending that death doesn't happen. It's, it's not death, it's a transition. And pretending that the body isn't a problem. The body changes to a better body, so you get this magic body. Well, this is bullshit. However, sci-fi has given us different bullshit. And so, um, what, what do you think the possibilities are of defeating bodily decay and death through good old-fashioned biotech? Oh, boy, that's, that's a good question. Um, I've done some research here uh, over the years. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a geek's geek, as you know. I, I, read a lot of, I read a lot of science, a lot of physics, uh, try to keep up with medical, medical research. And there are certain kinds of organisms that don't seem to die like we do. Uh, bacterial colonies under the right circumstances don't seem to die. Um, so they're, and they're not the only examples. So in some sense, um, you know, at, at some level, maybe, uh, maybe we could talk about eternal life, but the, at, at the moment, the research on aging has to do with telomeres and telomere unwinding and cell death and all of that sort of thing. And if we could solve the, the telomere telomerase issue, uh, the, uh, DNA unwinding over time, uh, cellular division and, and cellular division death, if we could, if we could solve that issue, um, then, then maybe the fountain of youth is not, beyond our reach now it, it wouldn't mean that you couldn't be burned at the stake um so all, all my atheist friends you need to you know uh, keep a religion card tucked in your back pocket just in case because the christians are coming for you uh, so i mean it, it's not impossible i don't think I it, it doesn't the christians it, would take a biotech quote-unquote everlasting body or, or if they would cite, uh, you know, religious disagreements. Oh, no, we don't have to take this human uh, version of eternity. We're, we're going to wait on God's version of eternity and die with our natural bodies. I, I think we know. So, put a pin in that for just a second. So, so I think we are beginning to understand the human condition. And as we do some comparative study about what organisms are long-lived and, and what their genetics look like, right? Because we, we, we can now do comparative genetic studies, right? We, we can compare uh, longer-lived humans to shorter-lived humans. We can compare long-lived animals to humans, all that kind of... We can do that work. Um, we're beginning to understand what it means to, uh, to have the genetics for longer life. And so in, in a cosmic oatmeal cookie sense, I don't think that it's impossible that at some point in the future, we will be much longer lived and potentially as long as we want. The question is, how long should we want? Well, so what if we can trade these uh, meat bodies for silicon bodies? So there. Um, so I was watching a lecture recently about um, whether it was possible to actually have silicon life versus carbon-based life and uh, silicon is close to carbon on the periodic table the, uh, but carbon is better at bonding it's better at sharing itself with other organic molecules and and so carbon seems to be uniquely placed on the periodic table um, to to give us life to to render life as we know it 
um, because it's good at sharing. It's good at making bonds with, with other elements. And in fact, it's uniquely good at it. There, there aren't other organic molecules that are as good at creating long chains, uh, apparently, as, um, uh, as carbon. So that doesn't mean that there can't be silicon-based life, but we would have to intelligently design it. And I'm, I'm presuming that's what you're talking yes, about. Yes, that's right? what I'm talking that, about. That I'm, can, not, I'm not talking about can, magic. I'm just I'm talking about in building our version of utopia, one of the things that we have to do is build a better body that doesn't get sick and die. What do, what do you think the chances of of that actually being? Uh, you know, you can project as far out in the future as you want to. Um, do you actually think mm-hmm. that we we can defeat sickness and death by by some means? Yes and no. I'm, so and and not not evading. Yes, I absolutely believe that we will solve the death problem with some technology or another or some combination of technologies. Yes, I, I think we crack the death puzzle. Ultimately, death comes to us all because at some point, as the Earth's rotation slows and as its orbit uh, as its orbit sails closer and closer to the super hot regions, at some point we will no longer have uh, an Earth uh, uh, an Earth ecology that cycles around the freezing point of water. At some point our atmosphere is going to boil off. Okay, let me let me ask you this. Will we solve the death problem before we solve the get the hell off this rock problem? Yes. I think we have... To, well, one of those two things has to happen because you can't keep populating and destroying this planet at the rate that we're doing. Uh, so we're going to have to... We're going to find some other planet to destroy... So that we can keep um, going, or we're going to have to find a way to uh, live past the catastrophe that we're creating. Even if we make generation ships. So, so here's, here's the truth for all of the folks that are wondering if we've ever been visited by intelligent aliens. No, we haven't. And the reason is that light speed is a bitch. And the universe is very, very big. And compared to the size of the universe... Life, uh, light is actually pretty slow. You know, 300,000 meters a second sounds like uh, um, 300,000 kilometers a second. It sounds like you're moving pretty good. But stars are light years away. And as far as we know at the moment, in terms of stars that are close to us, there are none, zero, that uh, have planets that can that can uh, support life like ours. Now, terraforming, maybe. But even if we can do that, let's just pretend that we could get out to Alpha Centauri and find a planet and we could terraform it, make it like Earth. How many people can we put in a rowboat across the Pacific and actually trust they're going to get there safely and be able to kickstart humanity elsewhere? That there's it's a big ask. Yeah, that, here's, that's here's all the problem with eternity. Uh, the universe is going to suffer heat death. Um, it certainly is. If everybody seems to agree with that, 
anyway, if there's some people who don't agree with that, uh, drop me a line. Uh, suggest a book. I'll be glad to read it. But it seems like everyone, whether it's heat death or something else, everyone um, seems to be on board with this universe is going to come to an end somehow. And the only way that it does not come to an end is for God to come and magically fix it. Um, so if if we if we have established that there is no God, then we are all stuck with the fact that we're going to die. There is no way to there's no way to fix your body so that it lasts through the heat death of the universe. So death death is inevitable, and that means that one of the tent poles for Utopia is already gone. Well, and there's a and there's another issue here. Um, so you were talking about heat death. That one's um, that one's possibly a bigger bitch than than the speed of light. And and here's why. Um, let me let me draw a picture for the listeners that's important in regard to light speed. So let's say you're driving in a car, and there's a car in front of you that is moving away from you at 60 miles an hour. Well, there's a car in front of that car that is moving away from it at 60 miles an hour. So it's not maintaining it's not maintaining distance. It's not also um, moving away from you at 60 miles an hour. It's moving away from the vehicle behind it at 60. This is what the universe is doing. The stars that are farthest from us are receding faster than light speed. Now, here's why that's, here's why that's important. Here's why we have a horizon issue. At some point, even if your star doesn't die, things are so far away from you that you can't even see them in the night sky. The distance has become so large that you can't even see your neighbors. And there's no way for you to reach them. You don't even know they're there. And so, yes, you stay on your planet of origin, and, at some and eventually point, you die. Your sun gets too far away from your planet to provide enough heat, and you die. Right, or, or or you sail into the super hot regions and die. So, yes, I think at some point. So, so here's where all of this is going in regard to utopia. Do I believe that an eternal utopia is possible? No. I. I don't I just there, there's nothing about the way the universe uh, there's nothing about the way I understand the universe and how it works it leads me to believe that a universal utopia uh, an eternal utopia is possible I think it's nonsense right um, yeah no simply simply no way um, to imagine eternity so we don't fix the death problem um, but maybe we could fix the sickness problem. And I think you're right. You can't really fix the injury problem either. Um, you stub your toe and it still hurts, <laughs> you know, unless you got metal toes. Um, so uh, let's say that we have bodies that can live for 200 years. That seems reasonable. <laughs> um, I, I think we could get there. Um, so that's... That's the best we can go there, but we've we've got more problems to to deal with to come up with a utopia. Um, we do have a resource problem. 
Uh, and we have all kinds of different resource problems. Uh, so one of the resources uh, that we're going to run into problems with is just uh, land that's safe and good and healthy to occupy. Because with climate change, um, more of the land, I would think, becomes uninhabitable. Um, speaking of more, if we start living to be 200... Uh, Huge issue. Uh, yeah, this is this is a major issue, uh, and we're not just talking about Social Security. Uh, no more retiring at sixty-five, <laughs> but um, you've got uh, you've got procreation, and who knows how long you'll be able to procreate now? How many kids uh, you'll be able to produce? Um, so, if you could produce children at even half the time, if you're living to two hundred, so you could produce children for the first, you know, hundred years or even fifty years. I think you run out of space pretty fast for this planet. And so if you solve the aging problem before you solve the we got to get the hell off this rock problem, you kill us. Um, so I don't, I don't see any way around that. The, the planet can produce only so much food. Uh, there is only so much drinkable water. I don't think that we're ever going to desalinate the oceans. Um, and if you do, you kill the ecology because it, it, we've got right. to have those sea creatures. Right. We've, no, no. we've got to have them as a food supply. Right. Um, I, don't, I don't actually know how we survive with resources if someone were to snap their fingers and make everyone live to be 200 today. Uh, I think we, we couldn't make it. We wouldn't even make it 200 years <laughs> at, at that point. Um, so... We have a resource problem, and I don't know. I mean, there, there are some things that maybe technology can do to address that. I mean, we can uh, maybe instead of eating lavish meals, we can uh, develop meal supplements that keep us alive, and we don't have to raid the earth for uh, you know, potatoes or gratin. We could just, um, you know, have a few drops in our coffee, and um, you know, we feel like we had a, a full meal. I don't, I don't know what the solution is. Uh, also, I'm a carnivore, so we've got this whole plant-based burger thing going now. By the way, have you had one of these Impossible Whoppers? Not, uh, I have not had an Impossible Whopper, but we did. I'm afraid. Just three nights ago, we bought. Um, we bought a ground beef substitute, an, an entirely vegetable um, beef substitute. And I will tell you that they were the best tacos I have had in the last decade. And the only reason they're not the best tacos I've ever had in my life is because I don't remember the tacos that I ate before for the last 10 years. Look, this stuff was really really good well i look i look forward to trying it and just so the audience knows i am a meditarian and uh i have no i do not have a guilty conscience <laughs> about this um i'm a carnivore i was born a carnivore um so sorry not sorry um you're gonna eat that hamburger pass it on so uh that said 
we don't have enough meat. I don't think we can produce enough meat if everyone lived to be 200 and everyone was a meatitarian. So, um, but uh, really, do would vegetable-based foods solve the problem, really? Because you still have to have enough good land to grow the vegetable stuff, right? Sure. And there's a whole sustainable farming practices issue that, that goes along with this, right? You know, what... What fertilizers do we use? How do we keep up with, uh, uh, with sort of the evolutionary race that goes on in the soil, right? And, and so I'm not an ecologist. I'm not a farmer. I, I can't talk intelligently about what the biggest issues are and what we're doing to solve them. But I do know that there are huge issues there, and we haven't solved them. It's not a prediction. I'm not, I'm not saying that there are no black swans. Um, but this, this evolutionary race that we're in, um, we haven't cracked that nut, right? There, we, we don't seem to be able to get outside of that race. Well, and what and, we know is the Earth has, is a limited resource. It's not an unlimited right, resource, right, and technology right. is not going to make it unlimited. Right. There's nothing on the technological horizon that's going to make Earth an unlimited resource. So if right. we extend lifespans too much, we use up the technology. So what happens when you get the perfect size apartment for everybody because these big sprawling mansions, forget about it. You're not going to have room. So if we, we produce as many people as possible who are all living to 200 years and having babies uh, up time, time they're 50 to 70 years old, uh, at some point, we have to calculate, okay, that's all we can handle. Now then, how do you keep, how do you stop more from coming? How do you keep the earth from overpopulating? I don't think that you can do it. And I, don't th- and I think that we can get to that place long before we build a spaceship that can get us to the next star over. Back in the 1970s, I want to say 72, 73, um, might have might have been a year or two later than that. There was a TV show called Logan's Run. And in that TV show, the 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 stars, the, the guy and the girl were these uh, 30-somethings. And in this future society, so we're, we're talking about a uh, you know, it's quite a bright technological future uh, in this story. Uh, but there's a sting in the tail in the plot line because the Earth, we, we recognize that overpopulation is an issue and people get to live wonderful lives up until you know, 33 or 35 or whatever the whatever the magic number was in the show. It doesn't really matter. It could have been 42. Um, but it doesn't matter. At that point, you're responsible for reporting to the incinerator. And you're killed. And it's painless. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's odorless. Maybe you can put it in your coffee and not know. I don't know. But they kill their citizens. And this is what everybody's raised to do, right? So you, you could even probably get people to go along with this. But Logan, I don't know. They, they had names and they reused names and they put numbers after them. So um, maybe it was Logan 12 and, and Jessica 5, right? But they fall in love. And the, the, they, they've been in love for a brief time, and so this is a new romance, right? And they, they realize they can't live without each other, and they don't want to die. And they report to the incinerator and then break away before they're, uh, you know, before they're killed. 
And the rest of the TV show is about them being on the run from the death police. Or, uh, that may not, you know, I think that's what they were called in the show. But, but that's the idea. And I don't know what humans look like if you can just get us to report to the grave on command. Right. That doesn't and, work. It doesn't look right. like it. That will never work. It's been tried. Uh, every every great sci-fi franchise has explored this idea, and I think that they are all right. Um, it simply doesn't work. Uh, Star Trek solves the problem of resources very simply. They have magic devices, and even with those magic devices, their real solution is we got to get the hell off this rock. Right. Humans got to be someplace else. Right. And not only do we have to get the hell off this rock, but there's a there's an implication in the Star Trek universes because uh, they broke the timelines a number of times. And now you just can't look at it. Never mind. Never mind. That's a, that's a different, right? anyway, it's a different um, Star Trek story um, mm-hmm. or issue. But the the other sort of nod of the head is sorry. The other sort of nod of the head is. If there are aliens out there that are anything like us, we're going to have to fight with them. Yeah, because isn't it funny? As big as the galaxy is, we are still fighting over resources. <laughs> Hundred right. light years away. Right. We are we are fighting like Kazon for a spring of water. <laughs> right. And and, and by the way, and, and by the way, in in these stories, we know so um, Kidmer. Uh, sorry for those who don't know who Kidmer. So you've got Klingons and humans living together, and never stop. Never it. mind. You've got to explain it to these people. I don't want them listening. Shut it off. Go somewhere uh, else. No, no, this is more, this is, I'm sorry. Uh, one I'm of on the things we know. Never mind. As, as part of the as part of the tapestry of the Kidmer story, we know that there are perfectly inhabitable, <laughs> uninhabited planets. But the Klingons and the humans just can't get along. Well, okay, so the, the I'm slightly corrupting the Kittimer story. So apologies for the real uh, Star Trek fans who recognize that Kittimer was largely peaceful and the governments can't get along. So, but the, the point is that Klingons and humans couldn't get along well enough and there was a Kittimer massacre, even with inhabitable planets within reach. Right. Yeah. No, there's. Um, Sorry, too much about Kittimer. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so, right. So there's there's um, we can't even solve the problem in science fiction. Right. And I don't think that science reality is as close to science fiction <laughs> to solving the problem. So I think I think what we run into is. One, we can't solve death. Uh, Death is going to get us. Two, um, we can't solve limited resources. Because there's not going to be a freaking replicator that's just going to spit out pizza pies for you. Shut up. That is is not... Sorry. Um, And if you have one, we can't build enough of them. I'm sorry. Even in the Star Trek universe, the replicator doesn't solve the problem because they're constantly running into planets where people without resources. The obvious answer would be here. Take three or four replicators. 
but but there are plenty of people without resources. And you would think that the number one mission for a Starfleet then would be to just go from planet to planet and leave replicators. But that, right. that does not, in fact, solve the problem. Even their magic technology does not ultimately solve the problem of not enough life and not enough resources. Absolutely. So uh, the, the first couple of tent, peg, uh, tent poles for uh, any kind of atheist heaven are already down. Uh, I don't, and I don't think there's any way around that. But those aren't even the biggest problems uh, for, for the utopia that I want to build. Because I can live with limited resources and limited time to live. Okay? I don't have a, um, some kind of fetish where I'm, I'm afraid of death and I've got to make up stories that I'm not going to die. So that's not, I can live with dying. Um, what I don't want to live with is life in misery and despair and fighting and strife and conflict. But we, we have another problem. We are human. <laughs> and I don't think that you can put a bunch of humans together in any kind of society under any circumstances and not have strife and conflict. The evidence of this is that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. And that's just two humans working really hard to make it work. It gets exponentially yeah. harder the more humans you put into the system. Of, of course it does. Because marriage, the, the idea of the perfect match. Um, look, I, I even accept the notion of a perfect match. I don't accept the notion of a perfect eternal match. And, and so I love the life I live right now. And, and I think I will love the life I live right now until I'm no longer alive. But would I love the life that I live right now for the next 200 years? No way. No way. I, I might even love the life I live with the people that are with me um, for the next 200 years, but I would require a change, and so would they. In, in fact, one of the things we know is that our children have to have a change. They have to get away from mom and dad. Right. And and maybe you can find two people that are compatible for a millennium. I, I don't know, because we don't we don't have lives like that. But what we do know is that the separation rate, the divorce rate in the United States is over 50 percent. Now, it's uh, we think of this as a bad thing. We criticize divorce and all that sort of thing. And I, and I think there is some evidence to to demonstrate that there's some there's some big negatives about divorce and a person that gets one divorce is apparently statistically more likely to get a second divorce and a third divorce etc right in fact those divorces accelerate so the, the right That's you know it's 50% for the first one but right. it's uh, like 60 something for the second one and then over 70 for the third uh, marriage right so the person is more likely right and but the reason the reason in part that we see that as a bad thing is um, 
that our society is built on um, there, there are certain religious drivers about uh, about monogamy, not serial monogamy, but but lifelong monogamy. Um, and and we have educated people to think of separation as a bad thing. I, and and so it's part of the not utopia because I, I don't accept that notion, but one of the things that we can do to make this life even happier. And I, I love my, I'm, I am a happy person in general. Um, one of the things that we can do for the people around us is accept when they need to do something different for themselves. That's, that's a biggie. That is, that is a really, that, that's, that's monumental. And we need to change our infrastructure. We need to change our policies um, so that people can live their lives more easily without the, the vestiges of, uh, with, and without the stigma of having separated from a partner in the past. So I agree with that. In fact, I think uh, you, you alluded to divorce being having some negative effects, but I actually think that most of the negative effects of divorce are because of our artificial social structure that so favors marriage. Uh, so I, I don't think that most of those negative effects are necessary. They're mm. inevitable because of the system we have, but the system we have is quite contrived. Oh, it's, uh, it's awfully contrived, too. Uh, so, so I agree. By, by the way, we've sort of spun around into uh, what would make an atheist utopia. Well, I don't believe in one, but we can talk about ways to make, uh, to make our conditions better. And by the way, I think we are. We're recognizing marriage more broadly uh, between uh, men and men, women and women, men and women, and uh, people who um, are not gender binary. Right. That's that's a good thing. Boy, if we if we've done anything for ourselves in the last decade, that was a big one. Uh, By the way, that's the United States. The rest of the world's lagging behind. Go ahead. Well, so, uh, yeah, before we get all the way into, well, what what kind of utopia can we hope for? Mm. What what can we work for? Um, I I just want to do some I want to do some callbacks to the first hour of our discussion um wait that far in wow oh yeah we're don't look at the clock um oh wow too late <laughs> so i, I want to do a, a couple of callbacks um and and show that i'm not just beating up the christian system but it's it's part of s- some of the thinking there some of the the ways that early thinkers spun out utopia you know that that didn't work for me then. It doesn't work in an atheist utopia either. So, for instance, you've got the idea of um, this hierarchy that I talked about. I think that any any utopia that has the kind of royal hierarchy that heaven does is going to fall apart almost immediately. Uh, it it invites power struggle. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the devil was not an aberrant thing in heaven. It was inevitable. S- someone had to rise up in a system like that where 
there is a a good, better, best. You know, no one wants to be stuck in good. You know, if there's a better that you can reach for, I, I think that's just our nature. And so, if you've got a utopia with a king or some kind of hierarchical system, um, it's going to eventually break down. I just, I don't think that heaven is the only only thing that has a problem <laughs> with that. I think that's just. That is just the nature of human beings. And if, if you can imagine, it's so much our nature that the people who invented the idea of heaven still couldn't keep a straight face long enough to not write conflict into their story because heaven ends up breaking down uh, in exactly the same way that I think any earthly utopia would break down if it had that kind of uh, power structure. And I don't know that you can build a utopia without some kind of power structure. Well, no, because we have a word for a utopia that has no power structure. It's called anarchy. Yeah, and that's not a utopia except to the people who are strong enough to be at the top. Right. To to have a utopia without a power structure, you have to have humans without, uh, without the sort of um, self-motivation that I think is... Um, uh, built into our DNA. Right. So that, uh, so you've got that problem there. Uh, and then just all the things that heaven tries to invent to get its way around. So, you know, you, you live forever, so that's good. You don't die. You, you know, transportation is no problem. You just fly around, I guess, walk in a cloud. Uh, there's no uh, resource uh, issue. You know, I don't know if you eat or poop or, you know, if that, I don't know what happens there. I do. But, um, you know, there's no there's no resource uh, issue. The the plant you're not procreating, and so heaven planted planted is is going to be big enough all the time. Uh, any conflicts that happen, you know, there's there's the heaven police to you know to, to deal with it. So I mean, there's there are just all kinds of things that you would have to invent out of whole cloth that are um, problematic for humans. But I think for me, the biggest challenge maybe, with the heaven concept that I would want to change in my utopia is that heaven is very elitist. In the grand scheme of things, of all the people ever uh, raised to live on this earth, only a few get to go to this good, happy ending. And in atheist heaven, everybody has to be able to go. Um, And this this is kind of where I want to transition into, you know, if we can't have utopia, what's the best that we can have? And I, I want to start with everybody's got to be included. Uh, there there are no elites. Um, there there's no elect. Uh, you know, from the homeless person to the the criminally insane person, everybody has got to have a ticket in and for all of the broken people uh, for a utopia to work, we have to have a fix. And I think that's one of the first things that we have to do is to find ways to fix mental illness uh, so that there are no people who have to be on the outside of utopia. Right. Because, um, the people that are outside of utopia are the people that are outside of heaven. 
And if you can't live with the idea that you have a God that will send people to hell, you shouldn't be able to live with the idea that you can have a utopia where there aren't people in it. Right, right. We've got, to, we've got to do better than God. We can't just scratch our heads and say, oh, well, they chose to, to be bad people. Well, that's not good enough. They chose right. to be bad people is not good enough. First of all, I don't believe, first controversial statement, um, market uh, one hour or 36 minutes. Uh, I don't believe that anybody chooses to be bad people. I, I believe that people uh, have various stages of uh, mental health and, and emotional mm. health. And uh, some are very healthy and some are not. And we are all unhealthy in, in some ways. But most of us are healthy enough so that we can you know, get through the day. But a lot of people aren't. I don't think that anyone wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'd like to be a bad person today. So this, that, that idea borders on one that boy, we, we could end up way down the rabbit hole. Um, that's the, the question of, um, of independence, of, of self-will. It's, you know, it's a, uh, it's the question of consciousness and what decisions I, am I truly an autonomous being that that kind of thing um, do, do people choose see I don't even care about that conversation I know that I know that it makes me uh, sound crazy I've had that conversation so much in my life it's, it doesn't even it's not a part of the factor is a mentally retarded person someone with free will well yes they're human. They have free will. But what does it matter? They're also mentally retarded. So it's not a matter of whether they have free will. It's a matter of whether they have uh, good mental emotional health to be able to make uh, independent decisions to help them uh, live a normal, happy, and fulfilled uh, social life. So I don't care about the question of free will. I care about the question of mental and emotional health. Right. But mental and emotional health is well it's parallel to the question of free will uh, so if you say uh, as for instance that uh, everyone that um, you're going to invite everyone along because they all have good mental uh, and, and emotional stability they all have uh, high scores on these scales however you, however you define them and then you turn around and say that the only way I'm going to define them is by those people who are willing to get along with, you know, whatever the status quo is. And I'm not saying that the status quo is bad, that that's not part of this assumption. In fact, part of the assumption is that the status quo is good. But the only way we're going to define those people is by accepting the status quo. That deserves a deeper conversation. Okay. I, I recognize that I may be bordering on magical thinking. Uh, so I acknowledge that. I'm not even arguing with the idea, by the way. I'm just, I'm just saying there are potential pitfalls. Let's, let's just say that even if there's some things we can't figure out how to fix, everyone has to be a part of your better world somehow. And I, I mm -hmm. don't accept that the answer is, well, you just kill everybody who, who doesn't fit in. Or you exile them or lock them into cages. Mm. And I, I think, you know, that's God's solution. 
That's the Christian solution, ultimately. We can do better than that. We don't need a hell to make a heaven. Okay. And, let, me, let me ask you a question, then. Okay. You know who Frederick Pohl is. I don't know if you've ever read his science fiction. Um, Actually. I went through Oh, okay. okay. So he's a big science fiction writer, um, golden age of science fiction, um, you know, sort of in the days of the uh, Larry Nivens and Isaac Asimov's and Robert Heinlein's of the world, that, that kind of, uh, although Nivens still alive. So. Yeah. Um, but Paul um, wrote a, a set of books, the Heechee saga. Heechee's were the, the, the aliens that we encounter. And in one of these books, um, there's, a, there's a, a child predator. We recognize this child predator is in prison. So, uh, oh, sorry, we recognize this child predator and put him in prison, right? And um, so we're we're far enough along to make robots that that look and act like humans, but we're not far enough along yet to fix this guy in his head, right? So that he's not a child predator. So what Frederick Pohl does for this guy in this sort of um, quasi utopian way is um, they don't want to kill this guy because, you know, it doesn't seem to be right in a utopian way to kill people. So they make an android for him that is, uh, that is a replica of a child. This, this android, by and large, looks and acts like a child and has emotions and cries and, and uh, you know, feels pain and all that sort of thing. And this guy gets to abuse this... Um, this quasi-human child while he's in a jail cell. Yeah, so let me let me just state that I'm not going to be able to solve the hard problem of um, what we do with such people. I think that part of that problem can only be answered with time and technology. Uh, we, we don't have any good solutions, for instance, for child predators today. We can't fix them, um, you know. And and some some might ask, well, you know, who are you to say that they're broken? Well, I say they're broken, so I'm I'm not going to actually have that that argument today. Um, we can't fix them, and we can't just leave release them into the general population so that they harm people. But I am saying that part of what we have to work toward before we have anything that we could even begin to call utopian is a solution for that problem. And it's not just about child predators. It's about whatever the the problem is that causes a person to behave antisocially. You've got to figure out what to do with that person that does not exclude them from your heaven. You can't just throw them away. If you think that life has uh, human life has value, then hell is the ultimate repudiation of that. Any sure. any concept of hell sure. is the ultimate repudiation of human life having any kind of value. If you really believe that human life has value intrinsically, then all human life has to have the value, including the criminally insane. Now, um, I would say uh, that, I, although I said I, I'm not in favor of um, exile, I would be in favor of some type of beneficial quarantine. Now, I know that that sounds like, uh, 
you know, a good, a good prison. <laughs> so, um, like I said, I don't, I don't have a real solution here. But I would be in favor of some kind of secondary um, part of the utopian system where people who can't live in the main system can still live somewhere. Um, and then if those places are populated by, you know, holograms, great. So be it. Um, if you've got criminally insane people that you can't fix and they love to rob stores, let them live in the holog- let them let them live in a holographic universe where they can go around robbing stores and raping and plundering and pl- pillaging uh, while they're hooked up to a machine. <laughs> <laughs> they can't harm any real people. See, I'm not, I'm not I don't know uh, exactly what the solution is, but the solution has to be better than the Christian solution of let's throw those people away. Because if that's so, the solution, then I don't I don't much care for your utopia. Yeah, and I asked the I asked the poll question um well, probably for a couple of reasons. First, it was um, it was at an impressionable time when I was thinking about utopia back as Christian, and um, you can see how that sort of solution um, was uh, quite jarring against the the Christian notion of utopia. But perhaps better than hell, right? It, it, for this for this guy, so, you know, you're trying to meet people where they are. Not just uh, not just destroy them eternally. Now, whether whether whole solution makes your skin crawl, well, yeah, it probably should. <laughs> yeah, it probably makes your skin crawl. Um, but the other reason I ask is not because I expect an answer, but because I think this is this is like the hard problem of consciousness. This is the hard problem of utopia. What defines the norm? And what do you do about the people outside it? And I don't think there's a utopia that, that solves all of those problems. If, right. that, maybe there is. I'm not claiming there are no black swans. I'm saying it's above my pay grade because I've tried. Okay. So there, there are some other things that utopia has to get right, or at least that we have to be working toward. And if everyone uh, agrees that there's no God, we can at least put all of our efforts into figuring out what to do with the people who fall outside mm. uh, of the norms. And, and we can put our backs into it instead of saying, well, they're just sinners, uh, you know, right. uh, possessed by demons. They're not that. Mm. They're humans like you. And we could use your help in, in figuring out what to do about treating them as humanly as you want to be treated. Um, so yeah, I want to loudly come alongside that idea. Absolutely. Right. So the, um, you know, we have, we have resource issues and environmental issues. Uh, I, I did not grow up an environmentalist. Uh, I grew up a waster in, in the Bible belt South. Um, that is a part of the country where people still openly sneer at the idea of recycle bins. Um, and, I can't afford to be that person uh, anymore. None of us can afford yeah. to be that person 
anymore. If we're ever going to reach yeah. a utopia, I think that we have to have a worldwide uh, unified effort that goes across culture uh, and uh, and location and time. Uh, and that unified effort is to live a more sustainable life with the resources we have in the environment that we're stuck in. Yeah. So, yes, um, we do have to, we do have to plan for sustainability. No, 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 no. So the trouble with planning for sustainability is terribly worded because you can plan for sustainability all the time and not do anything about it. Um, we, we have to do something about sustainability. Um, Greta Dunberg, Dunberg, the, the uh, young climate activist that Trump was uh, uh, picking on a while back, um, she just recently made the news again in the last day or two, uh, complaining to uh, another large group that we still have done nothing to tackle the climate crisis. And if we don't, and, and so let's just pretend like the climate crisis isn't the big deal. Well, it is. But let's just pretend like it's not. There will be a big deal. Even if you think it's not the climate crisis, there will be a, a food shortage or uh, population pressure or not enough drinking water or uh, so many people that we can't govern them all properly. Whatever you think the big problem is, if we're not putting our backs into it, we're not going to get closer to utopia because here's the truth. And I'll go ahead and take the affirmative position and say, the Christian heaven doesn't exist. And if you want a utopia, you better get off your ass and do something about it. Right. This is, this is just one of the things that we have to... It, we have to pull together on ourselves. This is not something that that um, skeptics and atheists can do by themselves. This is not something that any particular organization can do. We have to evolve enough as humans to all see this and, and put our backs into it together. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a part of the utopian vision uh, is is to simply have a more science-based reality about the world that we live in and uh, start teaching our kids from the beginning uh, better ways to, to move around in the environment that we're in. Uh, you know, I was, I was corrupted probably from birth, and it's hard for someone like me at my age uh, to, to pull back from that. And I'm trying. Uh, I'm trying to improve every day. I mean, we were talking about meat uh, a little while ago. But, you know, what if it's shown that, you know, eating meat is simply unsustainable? It, it destroys the earth faster than eating vegetables. I could be convinced. It is uh, un unsustainable. It does destroy the earth faster. <laughs> I could be convinced it's to eat fake meat for that. Not for not for any ethical <laughs> reasons. Uh, eating tasty animals is fine with me, um, but 
um, at some at some point, I think we have to be willing to say um, this thing that we have been doing since Cro Magnum times can't go on. Um, so can I? Can I, I? I know the time is moving on, but we've got eight minutes um, before it gets ugly. Um, yeah, I do have to um, get yeah. back to my small corner of Utopia. Actually, I want to. I want to bring up one more thing, and it's it's probably unfair to bring this up, you know, this close to the end where we can't really talk about it and debate it. Mm. Mm. It's. Uh, it's about resource management on a personal level. Um, oh boy, yeah, that was a big one. Mm-hmm. I, okay. I think in my perfect utopia, uh, the rich can't get richer and the poor can't get poorer, and there has to be a much smaller gap. And in fact, I think that you can't really call it a utopia if there is a such thing as rich and poor. I don't know how to get there. I don't know what that looks like. I I don't have a clue. But I think as long as that is the situation, it just it to me it just looks like the abled body taking advantage of the unabled, the, the smart taking advantage of the not so smart, the strong taking advantage of the weak. And so yeah. the resources get divvied up in that way, and you can't call it a utopia if that's how you live. We, we have to have a better system than that. I was reading a report yesterday, actually. Um, if you're interested, I can try to send over the link so you can throw it into the show notes. But um, we now have numbers behind the idea that it is easier to, easier to achieve the American dream in Canada than it is in the United States. So, so here's what I mean. The, the idea of the American dream in this context is that someone, regardless of background, uh, can achieve um, independent wealth. Right? They, they can live on their own without need uh, of, of state assistance. They can own a home. They can have a car. They can get a job. They can have kids. They can be, they can be self-sufficient. The American dream. And uh, as it turns out, um, we know what that takes. And we've done a global report on it. We've surveyed something like 75 countries. The U.S. was 27th on this index. The countries that that scored highest, Canada was um, higher than the U.S., I want to say somewhere in the teens, but might have been slightly higher, of of well-known Western countries. um, Germany, I think, was number five. But the the top spots all went to Scandinavian countries. And these Scandinavian countries, the, the Dutch, the Swedes, etc., they have great social safety nets. And as it turns out, the children that are born into poverty in those countries are more likely to become independent, to become self-sufficient, to live for that country, the thing that looks like the American dream. So if you're an American and you're listening listening to this, we're 27th. 
And I just want you to think about that in regard to to your to your own thought processes, to the policies that you back, to the people that you're willing to vote for, to the conversations that you have, to the way you see your fellow Americans, both those above you and those below you, in terms of economic success. Because we're 27th. And if you want a utopia and you're listening, think hard about the way you're thinking. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to add to that that can make that better. Um, and yet I'm going to add something to it, and so it'll just make it worse. But um, being who I am, I think the Christian vision is all wrong because at the end of the day, what the Christians want is all the money and wealth uh, in the universe, they want a big mansion, they want servants, they want a robe, they want a crown. They just defer it from here to heaven, but they want all of that stuff. They want whatever the heavenly version is of the Bentley. Um, and I think that that desire for affluence, yes, I know, I've stopped preaching and started meddling, um, and I'm a hypocrite. Well, um, <laughs> So just <laughs> iPhone of, user, just putting all I of that to say to you. <laughs> iPhone. If you think that's the extent of the, of the unnecessary technology I've got it within five feet of me, you are so wrong, my friend. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I um, I think it is this lust for more that destroys any hope we have even of a reasonable utopia. And so one of the things that I think could possibly fix it, I mean, it couldn't fix it. We would, we would go to war if someone tried to implement this policy. It would be something like nobody in the world, no matter what they do, no job could pay more than $75,000. Because you cannot convince me that there is any place in the world where you need more than $75,000 to live. Um, in fact, you'd have a hard time convincing me that that number is not too high. But um, if you just made it so that whether you're a president, whether you're a uh, Hollywood actor, uh, athlete, a uh, great musician, no one makes more than $75,000. And if, if you just put a cap on what people can earn and take away this, um, this impulse to grab more and more and more and get further and further and further ahead of everybody else. Um, I, I think that inevitably there would have to be more resources. And here's the thing. You might say, well, if we capped people's potential, then they wouldn't do as much. That's bullshit. I guarantee you, as a person who used to make a living off of music and I didn't make nearly that much as a musician, People will still keep making music. <laughs> they will they'll still do it. People will still keep running for president. Athletes will still continue to athlete. Every Programmers will still continue to program. Apple will still continue to sell computers. They will be cheaper. <laughs> people, people will, uh, instead of the 5,000-foot uh, McMansion, uh, that that people buy in Beverly Hills, they'll settle for the 1,200 square foot three bedroom apartment, which is still really nice. <laughs> they'll, we'll still we'll still be just fine, but I think it has to start 
with changing how we view the goal of the game. And right now, the goal for too many of us is just to gain as much as you can. And if you're one of those people who are lucky enough to be able to do it, then you just throw off the system for everyone else. And there is no reason why some percentage of the population should be making uh, hundreds of billions of dollars and another even larger percentage is making barely enough to buy bread. There's, there's no reason for productivity, for incentive, for uh, human well-being. There is no good reason for that at all. And it has to be eliminated somewhere. And I don't know how to make that happen. I don't either. I don't either. All right. Um, I got a go feeling this is not the end of this conversation. I mean, that's the end of this conversation. But I've, I've got a feeling that there's not the end of this conversation. Uh, and so I hope the conversation continues in the blogs. I hope the conversation continues by other people raising their hands and saying, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to talk about that some more. Yeah, drop me on. Well, I, I hope so, too. Um, the conversation should continue. Um, by the way, in the next round, maybe we should uh, have more solutions. We certainly had a lot of problems. Well, I, look, I'm all in favor of solutions. I do want to talk about what we can do positively right now, what atheists can pos- positively promote, because we can't promote heaven, and, and we can't promote utopia. But if we can think uh, in terms of, well, what is the best life we can expect? How do we get from here to there? Uh, you know, here are the things that we need to focus on. I'd like to talk about that. I don't have any answers right now. Like I said at the beginning, atheist heaven is just as shitty as uh, Christian heaven. We don't we don't have a better heaven to put people in right now. No, uh, and we're not going to get one unless we do it ourselves. Uh, by the way, if you think I'm wrong, um, you can reach out to me at reasonpress at gmail dot com. Uh, be happy to continue the debate if you if you take issue with the fact that I said there's not a Christian heaven and you think I'm wrong for taking the affirmative position, um, certainly willing to take that up too. Yeah, and Andrew has some other properties worth talking about. Um, what's your new, uh, what's your new uh, show? Oh, proscenium. Uh, so some of your listeners will know, ask, uh, ask an atheist anything, hosted uh, by Matthew Taylor with me. And uh, Asking Atheist Anything has changed its name to Proscenium, and we are progressing the format slightly. We will still do some religious discussions, but we are taking on uh, lots of other conversations uh, in the near future. And uh, so look forward to, uh, to hearing from folks at reasonpress.gmail.com when you listen to the first Proscenium. I think it's out now if, I, if I'm write about Matthew's editing. And uh, and so have a listen to Proscenium, Still Unbelievable, is still around. And, uh, and while we've slowed down uh, on Still Unbelievable, the reason is in large part because um, Unbelievable has changed its format to some extent. David, you and I have talked about this. Uh, they, do, they do less uh, hard opposition these days. Yeah, there's less for people like us to talk about, quite frankly, right. uh, from the show. And for me, uh, you know, your mileage may vary, 
But for me, the uh, platform is more dishonest than it has been in the past because what tends to happen, again, in, in my view, and certainly willing to hear opposing view, but uh, we see a Christian um, with uh, some moderate, so a Christian engaged with some moderate, uh, an agnostic who hasn't drawn a conclusion, or, or uh, you know, an opposing Christian. We see a lot of, uh, of uh, red on red. Uh, action these days and uh, are, are very friendly atheists uh, who are right. friendly to the, the the topic being discussed right oh that's true too yeah that, that's absolutely right and so we do fewer uh still unbelievables i can tell you that there'll be one coming up uh shortly <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah there, there are still a few <laughs> oppositional unbelievables out there <laughs> they, there'll be one somewhere around Easter, folks. Yeah, uh, just, somewhere around um, Easter. <laughs> Going to go ahead and tease that and not say anything else. So, of course, this uh, show might sit in the can longer than that. And so, just in case this doesn't air until after that, do you remember that great show around Easter? <laughs> right, right. There was a, there was a still unbelievable. And if you if you're hearing this after that, you're like, what are they talking about? Well. Back in your archive over on Still Unbelievable, because I guarantee you there's a good show around it. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, uh, before we go, uh, would mm. you uh, mind agreeing to uh, doing another episode like this with me, except on the subject of transhumanism? You want to talk for a couple hours on transhumanism sometime? Oh, I'd love to talk about transhumanism, yeah. because, um, I, you know, I've got this missing eye, and I really want something to go in that hole in my head. Guarantee there will be... More Star Trek references. Um, oh yeah, that's that's a that's a guarantee. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'd like to talk about transhumanism because I think this borders on a lot of uh, a lot of um, what we try to command other people to do with their bodies, right? It, uh, I, I think this parallels abortion, quite frankly, transhumanism. So if you're if you're if you folks are wondering. Yeah, I think there's a parallel there. Yeah, then you should listen. Th th it's a nasty little topic uh, with with lots of potholes. And, yes, and uh, landmines. Yeah, so let's talk about transvest. I mean, transhumanism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by by the way, that was not uh, that that was not being dismissive or hateful or anything. But I am I am in loud support of people being able to do anything that they want with their bodies uh, as as long as it's theirs or consensual with other people who are capable of consenting. Oh, yeah. So... Yeah. Um, what what so, Andrew is really saying is he wants someone to install a laser beam uh, where his left eye used to be. Oh, that that's, is, oh, that is so true. I, you know, <laughs> I, not only is it great for driving the neighborhood cats crazy... Um, but there are some crazy drivers in the place that I live, and I'd love to be able to aim my laser beam in their rearview mirror and just <laughs> put yeah. them out of my misery. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, okay. So my idea. Yeah, we we will do that. We will have that discussion, uh, and uh, I'll just tease my position right now. If the uh, Borg come and say you will be, uh, they won't even get to assimilate it. I will be first in line. I will run that motherfucker over and go to the assimilation chamber myself. Give me one of them board bodies. Right. I'll take it. 
Right. You you think I will Luke be assimilated? Out. You will be right. assimilated, fool. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, should, you should have never come here with that technology. <laughs> the only question remaining will be, how long will it take for me to put a knife in Locutus's back? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Sure. Are we going to end on a Star Trek reference? That's kind of fun. It's, that's how it should be. So, uh, hey, everybody, I appreciate you coming along for the ride. Let us know what you think. Um, it's a work in progress. It's not like um, it's not like I held back any opinions. It's just that I don't have any good ones right now, and I hope that we can uh, help kick start this conversation. Uh, so that we don't, can all think about these things together. So until then, um, thanks for coming along uh, for the ride. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. <laughs>